0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Howdy, WCC. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 have your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. As you're turning, I want to say this, that Georgia in the springtime is just beautiful. I love Georgia. Just the the past two days, just been gorgeous. I know we've had a bunch of rain, but yesterday was awesome. Everything in bloom, pear trees, red buds, daffodils. I grew up in Texas and I love Texas, but uh, tell you, there's a reason the Masters Golf Course is, the tournament's held in Georgia and not in Houston. So, <laughs> Georgia's springtime is just beautiful. I've said it before that it really is a picture of the new heavens, a little glimpse of the new heavens, new earth that God is going to give us. So, I'm just so thankful to be living in Georgia. I didn't grow up in Georgia, but don't hold that against me. I got here as quick as I could. So, <laughs> All right, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to take a little break from Hebrews, and we're going to talk about prayer, uh, because we've been thinking about Jesus being our great high priest who intercedes for us. So Hebrews 4.16 says that the throne of, of the Lord is a throne of grace, and when we come to God's throne, we can receive mercy, and we can find grace to help in our time of need. So we have a father on the throne who loves his sons and daughters. And he wants to hear from us in prayer. Also, we've seen in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus is our high priest and he always lives to make intercession for us. And that means that Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, he's our Savior. He's our high priest. He intercedes for us. That means he's praying for us. He's praying for us. And it also means that he purifies our prayers. I've talked about this before. He takes the weeds of our prayers out and then he presents them to the Father. That means we can be bold when we pray. So it's a huge encouragement. So God tells us all these things about prayer because he wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him in prayer. He invites his kids to come to the throne of grace in prayer. And so today the title of the sermon is Ask and You Will Receive. That's what we're going to see here in Matthew 7. Um, Last week I asked you to think about your own struggles in prayer. So I would ask how is your prayer life? Is it inconsistent and dry? Do you sometimes feel cynical about praying? Maybe you've given up hope of having a consistent time of prayer. But listen, if you're confused and frustrated about your prayer time, you're not alone. Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Life. In fact, I want to recommend the book. This is the book, A Praying Life. I love this book. I've read it a number of times. It's really helped me in my prayer life. But Miller says this, He he estimates that probably 80 to 90% of Christians don't have a consistent and healthy prayer life, okay? And there are lots of reasons why we struggle in prayer. I mentioned some of this last week. One tendency is just to be prayer-less, just to not pray much at all. Another tendency is to be self-centered in our prayers, to spend almost all of our time just asking God for stuff for us. Another one is this, is that we can have a reluctance to ask God directly for what we want. So if any of these sound like you, my prayer is that God will use this sermon to help. I'm realistic. I realize it's not going to happen overnight, but my hope is that this sermon will be just the beginning of a journey that will lead you closer to your Lord in prayer. Because you know what? Ultimately, the goal is not really to have a healthy prayer life, right? The ultimate goal is drawing near to our Lord Jesus. The ultimate goal is God himself. He's the goal. And prayer is a means that God gives us to draw us near to him. All right, let's look at Matthew 7. We're going to be just be looking at a few verses. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Okay, this is Jesus talking. This is Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Listen, just hear Jesus speaking to you this morning, okay? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay? So let's talk about prayer real quickly. I want to mention this before we get into the text. And I think we have a slide of this. I would encourage you to use this ACT method. Have you ever heard of this ACT method of praying? Um, it's actually super helpful. There it is. A is adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving. S is supplication. Supplication means making requests, asking God. So I would encourage you to use this method for prayer. So start out with A, adoring God, praising him. Then move to C, confessing, confessing your sins to God. We do that every week here at WCC. We silently confess our sins. Then you can move on to T, thanksgiving, thanking God for his provision, for the way that he's blessed you. And then we move on, as I said, to a supplication. Supplication is a fancy word that just means making your request known to God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's what Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 7. Okay? So let's get into the text. Matthew 7, Jesus starts out in this passage and he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Okay? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So in this passage, Jesus is encouraging, he's really commanding, he's commanding his people to pray and to ask. And he says, it will be given to you. And he says this in so many different ways with so many wonderful promises, and he keeps saying, it will be given to you. You will find, you'll find what you're looking for. The door to what you're asking for, it will be opened to you. And then again, he says it in verse 8. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's, he's making these promises to us because he really wants us to ask God for what we want. That's the point of this passage. And then he makes this comparison between earthly parents or earthly fathers and our heavenly father. So he makes this argument from the lesser to the greater in verses 9 through 11. So he says, "Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent?" And he says, "If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him?" So what he's saying is, if if your child is hungry and asks for bread, will will you give your child a stone? No. Or if a child asks for a piece of fish, will the parent give him a snake? Of course not. It's ridiculous. No decent parent would ever do that. So what Jesus is saying is this. Even though we are sinful people, Jesus says that. He says, you who are evil, right? He's saying you're evil. You have selfish, sinful hearts. And I have to laugh. This is sort of a footnote. Have you seen these commercials called He Gets Us? Jesus, He Gets Us? I don't mind them. They're, They're fine. But what, what I like about this is that Jesus gets us. I'd love for them to use this. Can you see the commercial? Jesus said, you people are evil. And then the tagline, Jesus, he gets us, right? So, so Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, even though you people are evil, even then there's still this inclination for you to give good gifts to your kids. And if we want to give good things to our children, how much more? Will our Heavenly Father, who loves us, give good things to us? So it's an, again, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Over the years, I have loved watching our kids on Christmas morning when they're opening their presents, right? You parents know this, and they're excited, and they're enjoying these gifts. It's a, just an incredible joy as a parent to watch your children receive and enjoy good gifts. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. Your father loves giving good gifts to us, his kids. So when you ask God for something good, when you pray to Jesus, our great high priest, and you're asking for something good, think about the joy of a loving parent in just watching his child receive and enjoy good gifts. That's what Jesus is saying here. So when you pray, that's one of your assignments, to think about the joy of your heavenly father in giving you good gifts. Right now, the question immediately comes to to us, and we think this. Right? Let's be honest. We think this. That's not my experience. Right? That's just not my experience. I mean, I look at verse eight. Jesus says, "Everyone who asks receives." And we think, "That's not my experience." We think, "Hey, when I ask, I generally don't receive it." I mean, I ask for a lot of things, and a lot of times, I don't receive them. Being honest, don't many of us think that way? So, I want us to ask some questions about the passage to get some clarity. So here's one question. Is Jesus saying that every child of God can ask the Father for anything, and then the Lord will immediately give them everything they ask for? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's not. In fact, it's actually very clear in the text, but you have to look closely. First is this, the timing of the gift. The timing of the gift. Does Jesus say... That you will get what you ask for immediately after you ask for it. Does he ever say that in this text? He does not. Even if God gives us exactly what we ask for, he may give it at a later time than what we want. The gift may not come immediately. But that doesn't contradict what Jesus is saying here. Jesus does not promise that God will give what we're asking for immediately. But we keep praying, we keep asking all the while, trusting that he will give us the good things that we ask for in his time, in his time and not in ours, because his timing is best. So what this calls for is for patience and faith and perseverance. But again, it doesn't contradict Jesus' promise in Matthew 7. There's another aspect to this. Look at the end of verse 11. Into verse 11, Jesus says, How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good things. That's important. Because Jesus is not saying the Father will give you whatever you ask for, even if you ask for bad things or with bad motives. He's not saying it. If I, if I say, God, I want, I want to be rich and famous, I want to be exalted, I want to live a life of comfort for my own pleasure all the time. So make me wealthy, healthy, and famous. And you got to do it because Jesus says right here, you'll give me whatever I ask for. So I'm claiming it by faith. No, (laughs) no, none of that is good. It's not a good thing. Also, I'm not asking with good motives. God is such a good father and Jesus is such a good high priest. And our God loves us so much. He's not interested in giving us bad things, even if we want them. Even if we think we're good, they're good for us, he's not interested in giving us bad things. He's not interested in feeding our narcissism. He loves us too much for that. So the Lord promises to give us good things. I would ask you to hold your place here in Matthew 7, but turn to James 4. So turn forward toward the end of the scriptures toward James. Look at James chapter 4. So picture a person praying for wealth. We actually have it on the screen as well. This person is praying, he's asked God for wealth, and then he doesn't get it. Okay, why? And James tells us. So look at James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions or spend it on your pleasures. He said you ask wrongly. You, he's saying you ask with wrong motives. James is saying that's why you don't receive. So when we're asking God for something, we have to check our motives. That's what James is, is teaching right here. When, when we're asking, we need to ask ourselves, is this a good motive, what I'm asking for? Is this going to bring glory to Christ? Or is it self-centered? So when we pray, we need to check our motives on this, Okay. Also, the fact is, oftentimes we ask God for something, not only with bad motives, but sometimes we ask for things that are just not good for us. We may really want it. We may ask repeatedly. But our Lord knows it's not a good thing. And I would ask parents, have you ever had your children ask you for something that's not good for them? Right? It happens all the time. I remember many years ago, one of our kids asked this. They were very little. I don't remember which one. I honestly do not remember which one. But this was right before bed on a school night, and one of our kids asked, said, Dad, can I drink this five-hour energy drink? <laughs> like right before they were about to go to bed. As a good parent, what do I say? Sure, go, go ahead, drink that. Sweet dreams, you know, night-night. I'm not going to do that because I, they wanted that, but I know what is best for them, okay? And why do I say no? It's not because I'm mean. It's because I love my kids, Okay. So, so we ask with right motives, and we also understand that when we ask, God knows what's best for us, not us. So hold your place in James 4, but go back to Matthew 7. Go back to Matthew 7. And in verse 11, Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says the Father will give good things, again, to those who ask him again. He doesn't promise to give us everything we ask for, only good things. And this is where faith comes in. Because we need to go to our Lord and ask. We really do. I'm not trying to discourage you from asking. I'm encouraging you to ask, okay? But when we ask, we ask in faith. We ask with open hands. When we come to the Father, we ask with open hands, trusting that he knows what's good for us. Trusting that he has good things in store for us. Also, we ask our Lord Jesus, our high priest, with a belief that he will remove all the bad stuff from our prayers, So we ask in faith. We can ask boldly, but we ask in faith. We ask with open hands, saying, Lord, you know what's best for me. You know what's best for me. I believe that. And if you don't answer this prayer right away, or if you don't answer it at all, then I still trust that ultimately this will be for my good. I I say, Lord, you love me. You know what's best for me. So I ask, not demanding, I ask with open hands. Again, I want to go back, though. Nevertheless, Jesus tells us that he wants us to ask. He really wants us to believe that our Father loves giving good things to his children. So ask. That's the point of this passage. Now, here at WCC, I would guess that most of us are not asking name-it-and-claim-it type prayers. That would be my guess. I'm guessing most of us are not going to ask God for self exalting things or selfish type prayers all the times we do sometimes but not all the time that's my guess and oftentimes we don't ask oftentimes we don't ask but due to a lack of faith because we don't want to put God to the test so we may say this well God I know I'm supposed to pray that your will be done every week we pray your will be done and we say you know what God I do want your will to be done but you're sovereign and we can sort of rationalize this you're sovereign and so your will is going to be done anyway. So I won't even ask. Or we say this, uh, God, I won't express my desires to you. I won't pour out my heart to you because you already know my heart, right? You already know what I'm thinking. So why bother? Here's the thing. When, God, when we come to God, God wants us to speak to him like he doesn't already know. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him. He wants us to make our requests known to him as if he doesn't already know and he does that for our benefit because communicating with him is how we build an intimate relationship with our Lord God is writing a story in our lives he's writing a story in our lives and he wants us to continue to make conversation with him in the day-to-day rhythms of our lives okay so a lot of it a lot of part of prayer is communing adoring confessing thanking God but he also wants us to ask and he wants us to ask him to give us good things. Now, let me acknowledge this, okay? Prayer is a mysterious thing. Prayer is very mysterious. I do not understand how it all works. Nobody does on this earth. But something I do want to point out, look back again at, at Matthew seven eleven. He says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to who or to whom? (laughs) To whom will the Father give good things? Who's the promise for? It says your Father will give good things to those who ask him. Who ask him. What about the beginning of verse 7? Does Jesus say it will be given to you whether you ask or not? Does he say that? No, he doesn't say that. Jesus says the promise is for those who ask. Does Jesus say you will find whether you seek or not? He doesn't say that. The promise is those who seek. He says it will be opened to you if you knock. That implies persistence in prayer, knocking. So Jesus does not promise that the Father will give good things to his children whether they ask him or not. That's not what the promise says. That's not what Jesus says. Now, praise the Lord. He does give us good things even when we don't ask, right? Praise God that he does that. But the whole point of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7 is that there are some good things that God will only give to his children when they ask him. So ask him. That's the point. If, if you held your place in James 4 and you go back to James 4, we looked at, at James 4.3, but look at James 4.2. James 4, 2, at the very end of the the verse, James says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have something, why? Because you don't ask. So James is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. James is saying there are certain things that you don't have right now because you haven't asked your Father for them. So I would say to all of us, child of God, there are certain things that you don't have right now because you haven't asked God for. Them. And remember, our Father loves giving us good things when we ask. He wants to do that for us. It brings him joy. If you have kids, you may be able to relate to this about not asking. What if you really want your child to have something wonderful? And you see that they're enjoying something, and you say, "Hey, it looks like you really like this, whatever it is, a toy, clothing, whatever it is. Now, some of you may not be able to relate to kids, but there are some kids that you say, hey, I'd love for you to have this. I want to buy this for you. Really excited about it, buying for the child. But the child says, and sometimes just sweet kids can do this, they'll say, no, it's too expensive. Oftentimes, very thoughtful and kind kids can be like this. I can tell you this, I was never like that. I, that didn't bother me at all, okay? But there are kids who are like this. So the child says, I, I love that, but it's too expensive. Please don't get it for me. There are kids who are like this, and you say, please, I want to give this to you, right? It would bring me joy to give this to you, and they say, no, it's okay. It's nice of you to offer, but I'm good. I don't want you to get it for me. As a parent, I'll just be honest, this can be so discouraging. It's sweet, and I love the heart when I see it, but it honestly can be so discouraging. And You say, okay, I won't get it for you. Let's go home. You know, that's the end of it. And I'm convinced that there are things our Heavenly Father wants to give us. It would bring joy to Him to give them to us, but we won't ask. And so He won't give them to us. So maybe we think we're being really holy and pious by not asking God for what we want. But really, if we don't ask God for what we want, really, we're being disobedient, right? We're being disobedient. Also, what if God is saying to us this? Yes, I know the desires of your heart. But I'm not going to give you the desires of your heart until you ask me. Also, I'm not even going to give you these things until you ask me repeatedly. Like the persistent widow. That's the the point of the parable, the persistent widow. So what if Jesus, our great high priest, is saying, you do not have because you don't ask. And he's saying, I'm not going to give you what you want until you ask. I mentioned this last week. Yes, yes, we pray. God, thy will be done. Right? Thy will be done. We pray with open hands. We don't demand. We don't make demands on God. That's not honoring to him. When we don't demand from God that things go our way. We don't do that. But here's the thing. I would ask you this. Yes, pray thy will be done. But don't get to thy will be done too quickly. Even Jesus. Even Jesus when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew he was going to the cross. But even our Lord Jesus prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He said, Father, if it be possible, don't let me go through it. Don't let me go through what I'm about to go through. Jesus was struggling in his humanity. And he prayed that he wouldn't have to go through the horror of the cross. Our Lord poured out his heart to the Father. And there was nothing sinful about that at all. Because then Jesus prays, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus prayed, thy will be done. But again, he didn't get there too quickly. He poured out his heart to the Father. And that's what God wants from us as well. He wants us to pour out our heart to the Father. We pray with open hands. We say, thy will be done. We should be doing this. So check your motives, right? Yes, check your motives. Pray with open hands, saying, Father, thy will be done. But when you do those things, child of God, then ask your father. Ask your father for anything. Ask him for anything you want. Okay, He loves hearing from from us. Also, talk to him constantly. Pray to him always. Thank him in all circumstances, but also ask him for what you want. Say, Father, listen. Father, if this is for my good, and if this can happen without sin, this is what I want. So please give this to me, right? If this can be for your glory, Lord, and if it will result in no sin, please give this to me or give this to my friend. Please do this, Father. Please, Jesus, my faithful high priest, do this. I'm asking for it. This is my heart's desire, so please make this happen. There's nothing wrong with that. That is what God wants us to do because our Father loves giving his kids good gifts. So ask him. So the thing is, I would ask you, what do you want God to do for you? What do you want him to do for others? Good, then ask him. And then watch him work. Watch him work. Even now, I'm hoping that you're thinking, what are things that I could ask God for? Write them down. Pray and ask God, and then watch him work. Okay, I'm going to wrap up here in just a little bit, but I want to give you a few more thoughts about prayer. I'm not going to develop them a bunch. I'm going to sort of do these rapid-fire but I, if, if, you, if you're so inclined and you can't remember all this, I'd encourage you to get online and re-listen to the sermon and ask the Lord to grow you in this, okay? So I've got just some, some kind of points, and I think we may have some slides on this. Number one is this, come to God in prayer with a childlike dependency. Yeah, we've got the first three. Come to, chi- come to God in prayer with a childlike dependency. We tend to go from one extreme to the other. Either we're completely dependent on ourselves and we're super confident in ourselves, or we're the other extreme. We're despairing and cynical. If we're completely self-dependent, we don't come to God needy. And if we're cynical and despairing, even if the Lord answers our prayers, then we can think this: anybody ever thought this? Well, that would have happened anyway, even if I didn't pray. That that is that is that's unbelief right there. How do you know it would have happened anyway? I bet I bet we've thought that. I bet we've thought that would have happened. You really you know that that would have happened without you praying. That's cynicism. That's not having faith. So don't be cynical and don't be self-dependent. Instead, come to the Lord in prayer with a childlike dependency. Number two is this. When God is about to work, he burdens us to pray. And this is part of the mystery of prayer. I honestly don't know what happens first. Do we pray and then God gives us what we pray for in response to our prayers? Yes, that is the way it works. I pray and God gives me what I asked for in response to the prayers, yes. Or is it this, when I'm about to pray, well, I mean, when God is about to do something in my life, does he burden me to pray? Yes, <laughs> that's the way it works too. When God is about to work, he burdens us to pray. There's a mystery to all this. Charles Spurgeon said this, that prayer is the forerunner of mercy. Prayer comes before mercy and blessings. And again, when God is about to work, he burdens us to pray. Number three is this. Simple, this is what I've been talking about. Think about what you want from God and then ask him and ask him repeatedly. Again, like the persistent widow, ask over and over again. And you know what? When you ask repeatedly, this will really prove that you're serious. If you ask for something only once or twice, hey, it may just be a whim, right? It's probably not a heart's desire if you just ask for something one time. It's probably not a true desire. But asking repeatedly And asking persistently shows that you're serious, shows that you really are wanting this. All right, number four is this. And I'm just saying on a regular basis, not all the time, but on a regular basis, remove health, money, and success from your prayers and see what happens. Okay? Because oftentimes our prayers end up being just like a hospital list of things, right? Or they end up being job, money, and success. I want this great thing to happen to me or somebody else. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with praying for people who are sick or praying for finances or whatever. But sometimes remove those things from your prayers. So try this exercise. Just remove health, money, job, success from the equation and think, after I removed all that, what do I want God to do? For me or for this person or for my church or whatever. So remove, again, health, job, finance, success, and then how would you pray for yourself or others? This will do a number of things. One, it'll do this. It'll really cause you to look at people and care. Because if you're looking at somebody, if you're looking at somebody and all you're thinking about, if your prayer for them is just, that, well, bless them, bless them. Well, that doesn't require you to look at a person and think about them, right? But if you're really looking and you're thinking, how would I want God to change this person? Or what would I want God to do for this person? It causes you to think and care about that person. That's one of the things it does. So you start thinking about things like the fruit of the spirit being exhibited in this person. Or sinful tendencies in your own self or in other people, right? Character. Also, it'll cause you to look at yourself, too. Because you'll think, so I'm praying for my child to be more patient. You know what? I'm very impatient. So God, help me in this as well. So thinking about people... And taking away, you know, health and success and all this stuff will help you really focus and, and be more spirit-filled and Christ-centered and wanting to, to, to bring about true fruit in a person's life. Our right, number five is this. The closer your prayers are to the heart of God, the quicker and more powerfully he will work. This is huge. This is so important. Because when you're praying for specific character traits to be developed in others or yourself, when you're praying for the Holy Spirit to, br- to produce more fruit in your life, in the life of someone else, then you're really getting to the heart of God. You're really getting to the heart of God. In Sunday school, George was teaching about killing sin. Amen. Repeatedly ask God to kill sin in your own life, specific sins, and in the lives of people you love. Because when you're praying for, for the Holy Spirit to do work in people's lives, or you're praying big kingdom prayers, that the kingdom of God would expand. When you're doing that, you're really getting to the heart of God. And I promise you, when that happens, the quicker God will work and the more powerfully he will work. Also, God wants to do more than answer our prayers, right? Just like the act of praying gets to the heart of God, it it draws God into your life. So the closer your prayers are to the heart of God, the quicker and more powerfully God will work. And then number six, the last one, in unanswered prayers, God often wants to expose something in me. So we have to ask the question, what about unanswered prayers? Well, part of it is the good things, right? We've talked about that. But sometimes also, God takes us through a spiritual desert. He just does that. God often takes us through seasons when he doesn't answer our prayers. And he does that because he loves us. God takes everyone he loves through a spiritual desert. Desert. And he does that to break us of our self will. We often demand that the story of our lives go a certain way. And God has to break us of that. And so he will take us through a spiritual desert. And when he's not answering our prayers. And he does this because he wants to expose something in us, he wants us to see something in us. So when you're going through a spiritual desert, look for the things in your heart that God is exposing. He's writing the story of your life. So watch for the story that he is writing in your life. Don't demand that the story go your way. Okay. All right. That's basically the end of my teaching today, but I want to close with this. It's a kind of an extended account, but it's from Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. And I want to do this because it's a personal thing A number of reasons. It's a personal thing. I don't want to use my own family or friends because it can sometimes be embarrassing. So I want to use somebody else. But I can tell you this, that many of my prayers have been answered in a similar way to what Paul Miller is saying. I also like it because he's talking about praying for his teenage daughter, Emily. And she's not like the most rebellious person ever. She's just a typical teenager. But still, you see his heart and God working in her heart. Okay? All right, here's what Miller says. And I'm just going to read a pretty, as I said, a pretty extended account. He said, one word summarizes our prayers for Emily. That's his daughter. Faith. We wanted the energy of her life to be coming from God and not from the people or things around her. Emily loves field hockey. Her school had a superb, well-coached program. The coach was excellent, although Emily thought the coach played favorites. That year, she and her friend were not the favorites, and occasionally Emily sat out the entire game. Another parent said to me, isn't that unbelievable what the coach is doing? Doesn't that make you mad? I replied, actually, no. (laughs) We're thankful Emily has this low-level suffering while she's still on our watch. It's a wonderful opportunity for her to grow in faith. She'll learn far more about God on the bench than out on the playing field. He said, I saw the bench warming as an answer to my daily prayer that Emily would not love the world or the things in the world. He said, don't misunderstand. I wanted my daughter to play more. It stung when I saw her on the bench, but sitting on the bench was great preparation for life. Life is more about bench sitting than about being a star. God was working through her disappointments. God permitted mild pain in her life in order to grow her soul into his. No one works like God. He said, in September 2007, Emily decided to work at an orphanage in Guatemala. It was located in a slum area surrounded by gangs. We had encouraged Emily to go, not only because the orphanage needed help, but also to free her from the high school idols of sports, guys, looks, and friends. More than anything, we wanted her faith to grow. Emily's willingness to go to Guatemala was another answer to our prayer that she would not love the world. But still, the prayer was largely unanswered. He's talking about his daughter. He says, as the two of us were walking across the yard in the orphanage where Emily was about to spend the next nine months, She suddenly made a sharp comment to me about not letting her have a cell phone at home. I knew she was afraid of being alone in a foreign country, away from family, friends, and the familiar, so I said nothing. At least I said nothing to Emily. She was walking a little ahead of me, so I slowed down and prayed, God, you have got to give Emily faith this year. I was keenly aware of my inability to grow faith in her heart. God had to do it. Was this a name-it-and-claim-it power prayer? No, it was actually a powerless prayer. I prayed because I was weak. I wasn't trying to control God. I certainly wasn't in control of Emily. I was simply praying God's own heart back to him. The next nine months were the hardest in Emily's life. She was thrown in with 45 Hispanic orphans, and she had only taken a little high school Spanish. God used her isolation and the challenge of befriending moody teenagers to repeatedly break her and draw her to himself. She came back home a different person. A year later, she was in college and asked me to proof the following paper for one of her classes. This is what Emily wrote. So this is Emily's paper. She said, "Every Thursday morning during high school, I had jazz band practice. One of these mornings I was running late. I had to be out of the house by 7:15 and the clock read 7:21. My dad was sitting in the car waiting for me. This our family can relate." My dad was sitting in the car waiting for me, so I grabbed my mascara and ran out the door, swinging my backpack onto my shoulder. I sat in the front seat and complained the whole way, saying that I didn't want to be in band, even though it was my idea. I flipped down the cover of the mirror on the visor in order to put on my mascara, but the cap, but the flap kept popping back up, concealing the mirror. After about three times of it popping back up, I pushed the flap down so hard it broke. My my dad began to talk to me about my attitude. As we pulled up to the school, I got out of the car in a huff and shut the door without a goodbye or thank you. She said, I could try to justify my ways, but the real issue was my heart. I was bitter that my sister Kim, who has autism, seemed to receive more attention than me. I was insecure at school. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have the right hair. And I was tired of not fitting in. Maybe it was my insecurities that drove me to disrespect my dad by critiquing him day in and day out. But the main reason was I did not have the love of Jesus in me. I decided at the end of my senior year to work at an orphanage in Guatemala. During that year, God showed me areas of my life where I'd put up walls, places where I didn't want God. One day, I was sitting in the guest dining room of the orphanage, talking with a volunteer who'd come down for a few weeks. I decided to show her pictures of my family. She said, my dad has a blog on his web work, on his work website and I knew that he had pictures there. As I read the comments below the pictures written by my dad, I became so overwhelmed with the love of my father. She said, I remembered all the times I yelled at him, the times I told him that he didn't love me, the times I would stomp out of a room, not only that year but through most of my teenage years. As I read the words and saw the pictures, I felt so undeserving of my dad's love with all the attention, patience, and gentleness he showed me. As I sat at the table, gazing at the computer screen in front of me, my thoughts came to God. How my dad loved me was an example of God's love for me. My thoughts raced to all the times I had ignored God in my relationships, in sports, in music, in all areas of my life. When times were good, I ignored God. But when times were hard, I blamed God. But nothing that I did separated me from the love of God. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. She said, I was completely undeserving, and yet I received the greatest gift of all, eternal life, because of God's love and his grace upon me. I have the love of a father. My earthly father showed me that it wasn't what I do that makes him love me. He loves me because I am his daughter. My disrespect didn't push his love away from me. For me, this was a small picture of the love that my heavenly father has for me. She said, I will never fully comprehend how I can be loved so much when my heart is so often so ugly and unlovable. But that's what makes grace so amazing. And then Emily's dad writes this. He said, my two prayer requests for Emily, for her relationships with her earthly father and her heavenly father, he said, were closely connected. He said, a breakthrough in one led to a breakthrough in the other. He said, I was also struck by the wisdom of God's five-year delay to our prayers for Emily. God waited to remove the blinders from her eyes until he had Emily right where he wanted her. He goes on to say, when I prayed that Emily would not love the things of the world, it seemed as if she was standing in the middle of a field dominated by the icons of modern American teenage life. Boyfriends, friends, appearance, sports, and clothes. Jesus was a fading childhood memory to her. My prayer for her seemed so weak, so powerless. But now the words I prayed softly over her heart have swept away the once powerful images. Like the Apostle Paul, I can testify that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. All right, I'm done with the sermon, but let me say this to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking our father, our dad, our Abba. Keep asking Jesus, our great high priest. Your prayers may seem very weak, right? They do. When I pray, I feel really weak. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure you're a Christian, then ask God for something huge. Ask him to change you. Ask the Lord to remove your doubts about Jesus. Ask him. Ask him to change your heart. Ask God to give you a real love for Jesus. Ask him to change you and keep asking. I'm confident he will answer that prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Because your father loves giving good things to those who ask him. Amen. Let's pray together. I would ask you to join me as I pray this. Lord, please help me grow in my prayer life. Help me, Lord. I need you in this. I want to talk with you more. Help me have, Lord, the freedom and the joy to be honest with you, to make my requests known to you. Help me pour out my heart to you, Father. You're my father, you're my dad, and I love you, and I know you love me, and I want to talk more with you, so please help me, Lord. Grow me, Lord, in my desire to pray. Grow me in my ability to pray. Lord, I come to you with open hands, confident that you know what's best for me, and you love me, but help me, Lord. I come to you, Father, in the name of my great high priest, seated at your right hand, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.